John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father uh, but by me. The name Frances uh, Crosby is synonymous with Christian music. Uh, she's better known by the name Fanny. Yes, that was her name, Fanny uh, Crosby, born in 1820 and died in 1915. She lived to be 95 years of age. And what's so remarkable about this lady is uh, she was born blind. There's a little bit of debate about that, whether she was born blind or, or injured early on at birth, but she was blind for the duration of her life. She was raised in a very devout home where her parents, even though she was blind, she had an amazing mind, and they would have her memorize Scripture. By the time Fanny Crosby was 15 years of age, she had memorized the entire Pentateuch, or Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament. 15 years of age and could quote, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth all the way throughout the Pentateuch. But that's not all. She started in the New Testament, and she memorized all four of the Gospels, also by the time she was 15. She would get married and have a child, but Fanny Crosby's life was not, well, can I say it this way? It was not without ease. She had a very difficult time. Right after her and her husband had their first child, the child died suddenly. And not too long after that, her and her husband, they separated and remained separated for the remainder of her life. When she was about 30 years of age, Fanny Crosby in her testimony says, it was then that my life really surrendered to Christ. I know I had memorized a lot of the Bible. I know I had been raised in church. But I had to come to that point where it was no longer my parents' faith, but it was my faith. And then her life just began to blossom. She was the first lady ever to speak at the United States Senate in Washington, D.C. A remarkable thing. The first woman ever to address the Senate was Fanny Crosby, and she spoke on behalf of those who were blind. Speaking of her blindness, here was her take on the providence of God in allowing her to be blind, and I quote, You know, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all of my life. And I thank God for this dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. She went on to say these words. When I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. What an amazing, deep faith. Fanny Crosby wrote eight thousand hymns in her lifetime. We have sung many of those. Many of you are familiar. The one that I'm thinking about today that goes along with our message today is entitled Rescue uh, the Perishing, a Care for the Dying. I was looking at that hymn this week, and I was just reading over it, and the third stanza just grabbed my heart, and it says, Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness. Listen to this line. Chords that are broken will vibrate once more. Uh, rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful and Jesus will save. Today we're going to look at the third part 
of our trilogy of messages really on the Radiant Church. And this is our church, as Chad, our youth pastor, said a moment ago, is it's who we are. It's in our DNA. We are going to be a church that does three things, and by God, God's good favor and hand, we're going to try to do these with excellence. Number one is worship. And that is upward in our worship. It's this vertical relationship with God where we worship Him not only collectively as we're here today, but also in our quiet times, in our devotional times. Secondly, we're going to be a church that shines inward in discipleship. We want to make disciples of those who will go and make disciples. So we're going to, we're going to accentuate and we're going to continue to focus on the Scriptures and to go deep with the Lord. And then thirdly and finally... Uh, our goal and our desire is to be a radiant church that shines outward in service, in evangelism, and in missions. And as we look at Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to complete this chapter today, and I have so thoroughly enjoyed studying Isaiah chapter 6 with you. And there is a beautiful diagram here, a beautiful paradigm of what a radiant follower of God looks like in the Old Testament in Isaiah's ministry in Isaiah chapter 6. So I'm going to begin... Pick up in verse 8, and we're going to read through the remainder of the chapter. And the title of our message is Foundational Emissions. So let's read the Word of God together. All right, here we go. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And God said, Go and tell this people. Isaiah, go and tell them, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. In other words, a lot of this message is a message, a pronouncement of God's judgment on His people who have categorically rejected Him. And Isaiah was kind of startled by that. And so he, in this vision with the Lord, he, he's basically like, are you sure, God, is that what you want me to tell them? And God, if that is true, how long? How long do you want me to pronounce these words? And the Lord answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But verse 13. But yet a tenth will remain in it and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. Today I'm sharing this message with you and, and there is a lot of excitement and a lot of eagerness because really this is my joy. I, I love to talk about and I love to actually engage in dialogue and interfacing with a lost culture, with a culture that does not know God, that is uh, far from God. And so I just resonate with this passage. I love this passage of Scripture, and it is my joy to share with you a message today that will hopefully motivate you and encourage you to not only worship God and not only to study God's Word, but then to finally go and tell. Just like when God said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? I would just in my mind's eye and the vision that I have is just corporately and collectively, Great Hills Baptist Church raises her hand outstretched towards God and said, here we are, oh God, send us. Now I've heard the excuses and I've heard people say, well, that's just not for me. I love to worship God and I love to study God's Word. 
but I'll just let some other brave soul go out there and live that life and tell other people about the Lord. And I just, obviously, I disagree with that. But instead of coming at you this morning and just saying, well, what's wrong with you? 95% of us, and that's the statistics, 95% of us will not share our faith nor invite anybody to church this week. Now, I know that that's startling, and I know we find that hard to believe as a radiant church that surely it's the other way around, that only 5% of us will be quiet this week and not invite somebody to Christ or to our church. People tell me often, well, I'm not an extrovert, and I don't have the gift of evangelism. And I just want to kick this dog as I walk by it. (laughs) That, That is a myth. It is an absolute myth. Nobody has the gift of evangelism because there is no gift of evangelism. And I have preachers tell me this all the time. I have, I've used to have students when I was a professor at the seminary tell me this all the time. And so I would engage them and say, tell me in Scripture where it says only the gifted in evangelism will share. And they say, well, I, I can't show you that. The church growth movement says only 10% of your people have the gift of evangelism, so the other 90% should just be quiet. And there is nowhere in Scripture, well, I'm not an extrovert, I'm an introvert. Well, the greatest soul winners that I've ever met were introverts. They were quiet, they were reticent, they were not the life of the party, but oh, they could share their faith, they could read John 3.16, they could show a gospel track. It's, listen to this very carefully. It's not so much we need to be looking for the gift that doesn't exist or to be somebody that God's not created us to be. Here's my contention. When we are worshiping the King, and when we are truly being discipled and nurtured in His Word, you cannot shut us up. You see, the problem is not in our evangelism. Our problem is in our worship, in our discipleship. Because if we are worshiping God, I mean, if we are coming together as Great Hills Baptist Church, and we are truly worshiping Him and enjoying Him and studying His Word, then we will go and we will tell. Now, today is an interesting text, and I love preaching the Bible because the Bible has some hard sayings in it. This is one of them, by the way. This verse, these verses are quoted six times in the New Testament. Jesus, on his lips, are these very words. Also in the book of Acts and in the book of Romans, six times This passage of Scripture is quoted, and I believe it is for a definite reason. Because just like in Isaiah's day, listen to me carefully, just like in Isaiah's day, just like in Jesus' day, just like in our day, there are always going to be those, and they will be the vast majority. They will hear, and they will not believe, and their hearts will grow hardened. And so let's talk about this today. Number one is the commission. What is the commission that God gives to Isaiah. Well, Isaiah, it says, heard the voice of the Lord. Look at that in verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord. How did he hear the voice of the Lord? He was listening. A lot of times worship is not so much speaking. Worship is listening. And we are being reverent, and we are being quiet, and as the songs are sung, and as the, the preacher is preaching, and as the prayers are being uttered, there are times when we just need to be still before the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to know? God, what are you saying to me today? And so God asked this question, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Now, that's an interesting question. 
God is not looking for an answer to a question. It's not like God is going, oh, my land, seraphim and cherubim and everybody angelic. What in the world are we going to do? Who am I going to get to go tell the people? What? You know, there's not some heavenly chaos going on. No, this rhetorical question was for Isaiah. In other words, God is saying, Isaiah, can I send you? Will you go for us? Now, notice the first person plural pronoun is used to describe deity. Now, there are a lot of definitions about why would God refer to himself in the plurality, in the plural. Well, first of all, I believe it is a reference to the Trinity. In Genesis 1:26, let us create man in our image. And in the likeness of man, God created us. But I've also, systematic theology professor James Leo Garrett said, this could refer to a plurality of the majesty of God, as God is referred to in the plural. Or, number three, it could be God says, who will go for us? Us seraphim and us angelic beings and the redeemed. Who will go for us? But I think it's the first. Because Jesus said, Isaiah saw me. When you read in the, in the Gospels, Jesus refers to this in the Gospel of John. And so I believe as the awesome God that he is, is looking at Isaiah and saying, whom shall I send and who will go out and go for us? And then Isaiah said, you see it in verse 8, he said these words, Here am I, here am I, send shalak, shalak me. And this word is used twice in this one verse. And this Hebrew word literally means to dispatch. It means to send out literally and to stretch out. And you say, okay, God is asking Isaiah to do something. What is he asking him to do? Verse 9. And God said, go and tell the people. Go and tell them. One writer I read this week, he, well, he describes this beautifully when he says, the servant of God is to proclaim God's word regardless of how people respond. It took a great deal of faith on Isaiah's part to obey such a commission. In other words, Isaiah, I want you to go out even though they're going to reject you, even though by and large they're not going to listen to you, and you can preach for 60 years, Isaiah, most of the people are going to reject you because they're rejecting me, and eventually, Isaiah, you're going to be sawed in two. You're going to die a martyr's death. But here's what I got to know from you, Isaiah. Are you willing? Will you still preach? Will you still teach? Will you still witness? Will you do everything that I've asked you to do, even though you're not going to see a whole lot of results? And Isaiah even then said... Here am I, O God, send me. And the writer goes on to say, when Isaiah walked out of the temple that day, he was no longer a mourner, he was a missionary. He was not a spectator, he was a participant. God had equipped him to do the job. Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw himself, and now he sees the need. Knowing that God was on the throne and that God had called and commissioned him, he was ready to preach the word even unto death, what an example he is for us today, end of quote. So this commission. God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah raises his hand and says, it's me, O oh God. Send me. Send me to my neighbors. Send me to the nation of Israel. Send me, God, wherever you want me to go, and I will bear witness to you and I will proclaim your... And I tell you, God just got all over me this week about this passage of Scripture because here's, here it is. Most of the time, when I'm out in the city of Austin 
and I'm inviting people to Christ and sharing the gospel, they look at me like I'm from a, another planet. They look at me like, what? They just, they just, they're, they're just dumbfounded. And so I walk away from that going, wow, that, that, was, that really went over well. You know, do, do y'all ever do that? The 5% of you that are out there doing do y'all ever get that? Sometimes go, well, you know, maybe I just shouldn't do that. Because after all, I know what they're going to say. They're going to look at me like a, you know, a calf looks at a new gay going, whoa, what is this? You know, what are you, are you from Mars? What are you saying? And so what, this is what I'll do. I'll just be quiet because they're going to reject God anyhow. And I want you to know something. There's a Hebrew word for that in the Bible. It's called baloney. You can't do that. That is not an option. Here's why. Because God is so awesome, and whether they accept Him or reject Him, it is incumbent upon us as His followers, as His people, somebody who's deeply in love with Him, we will tell them regardless of their response. Man, when you can get to that point, oh, my word. When you can get to that point, there is a liberation, there is a freedom. And so now in my life, it's the exception if I don't talk to them about God rather than if I will talk to them about God. You say, well, goody, goody two-shoes, that is just fine with you. You just keep on going out there and telling everybody and being rejected, and, and I'm just going to keep being quiet. That's not an option. So let's look at the consequences. The time frame here of Isaiah's ministry was during a very prosperous time for Israel. Now remember this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In that year of 739 B.C., Israel is flourishing. It's not too far removed from Solomon's reign. They are protected. They are prosperous. It is, a, it is a golden age of Israel. Now, you know and I know that some of the most difficult people to reach, whether they are Austinites or Israelites, are those who have this world's goods. In fact, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about Christ. Let me tell you how Jesus can save you and you can be forgiven of your sins and you can go to heaven. And they look at me and they say, I've already got heaven. I don't need your God. I got 14 girlfriends. I have 14 Mercedes Benz. I have five homes. Tell me why I need your God. Do you get the picture? People who are like that, they just think, well, I don't need God. I don't need anybody. Look at me and how awesome I am. And Isaiah, Great Hills Baptist Church, are you willing to still go and tell, though most of the time you will be rejected? Jesus quotes this text in Matthew chapter 13. He describes in parables. He says, for them, I'm going to speak in parables because they're not going to understand it. But for you, I'm going to speak in a way that you can understand it. And here it is. Stubbornness, rejection, disbelief are all very much within the purview of mankind. But God has not made us as robots. He has not made us as automatons. He has given us a free will and a choice. Listen to this statement God gave me this week. The judgment and severity of God do not occur because God is cruel. Judgment occurs because man is stubborn. And we get what we very well ask God for, and that is judgment. One writer put it this way, the Lord told him his message would not result in much spiritual response. The people had not listened before. They're not going to listen now. The Lord did not delight in judging his people, but discipline was necessary because of their disobedience. Now let's look at verse 10. 
I'm going to show you something in verse 10. This is really cool. Uh, Look at verse 10 for just a second. If you don't bring your Bibles to church, you need to bring your Bibles to church, okay? Because this is going to show you something cool. There is a chiasm in the text. You say, excuse me, who, what, where, who is a a key what? A chiasm, C-H-I-A-S-M. It is a cool way, a stylistic way of writing where you use a trilogy to accentuate a point. And let me give it to you in verse 10. Make the heart, notice three times, A, B, C, C, B, A, okay? A is heart, B is ears, C is eyes, and then eyes, ears, and heart. Did y'all notice that in verse 10? I just displayed for you a chiasm. You can tell your grandchildren, I know what a chiasm is. Pass it on to the future. This is a stylistic, poetic way of writing to accentuate something that the biblical writer really wants you to get. And here's what I think he's saying. The eye. The eyes, the heart, the ear, the eyes, the eyes, the ears, and the heart. Look at this. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Here's what I think he's saying. Isaiah, speak the truth. They see it. It's right before them, and even though they see it, And even though they hear it, they will reject it, and yet you still must be obedient and speak this truth. One writer puts it this way. He goes, to see with one's eyes will not convince a will that is opposed to the truth. Mm, Listen to this. Man, I couldn't wait to get to you to say this word to you today. One must love divine things in order to understand divine things. That's Blaise Pascal, mathematician, Christian Frenchman who created the calculator, which eventually became the computer. Brilliant man. Listen to these words. One must love the things of God in order to understand the things of God. Most are going to reject. That's why I am not all discombobulated, and that's why I'm not fretting and worried. Because the Bible says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the path that leads to life. I share with people, I witness to people, just about everybody I meet, I try to evangelize them. Knowing full well that most are going to reject, but there are some who are going to believe. Listen to this. In Noah's day, eight people were saved on the ark and the rest were destroyed. In Sodom and Gomorrah, Abram prayed. Abraham said, oh God, would you spare the city for ten righteous souls? There were not ten righteous souls, and God destroyed the city. In John chapter 6, Jesus Christ himself is preaching the word, and the Bible says that the multitudes walked away from him. And they said, we will follow you no more. Why? Because Jesus said, man, we're going to go deep. You're going to follow me. You're going to die for me. And then you will live again. And the Bible says they turned away and Jesus said, Peter, where are you going? Are you going to leave? And glory to God, Peter had the spiritual bandwidth and the wherewithal to say, oh, Jesus, I'm not going anywhere because you alone have the words of life. Hey, listen, guys, if you're interested and your Christianity is summed up in, well, what kind of a big crowd can I get? That's not biblical Christianity. It's how many disciples can I make? 
It's how many followers of Jesus Christ, deeply devoted followers of Christ. You say, well, Brother Dan, this, this is an interesting message. I don't know if I like it or not. I, you know, I don't know if I like it or not. But it's true. And Isaiah, you have to go and you have to share. I want to give you an interesting statement. In John chapter 12, Jesus quotes Isaiah 6. And the people could not believe him. Their ears were hard. Their eyes were glossed over. And they could not believe him because they would not believe him. Now stay with me. There are many who say they would not believe because they could not believe. There are many who believe that God is only going to save the elect and, and just the rest of the world's not even going to get a chance. Listen to this. They could not believe because they would not believe. I think about Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh in, in the book of Exodus? And the Bible says God hardened his heart. And I read that and I go, wow, you know, God hardened his heart. God hardened the hearts of the people of Israel. God hardens people's hearts in Austin today. Why is that? Because they don't believe. And when you don't believe, you're opening yourself up to a hardening, to a spiritual calcification, and you will never believe. And that's just the truth. One writer put it this way, and I thought this was interesting. He said, is God saying that he deliberately blinds people and condemns them? No. What he is saying is that the Word of God has this hardening and blinding effect on sinners who will not listen and they will not yield. Mm, listen to this. The sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. In verse 11, Isaiah saw the gravity of this calling from God. He knew it wasn't an easy one. He, he, will reign, he will minister from 739 to 681, 60 plus years. He will die a martyr's death. And history spells out that God was absolutely telling the truth. Because here's what happens. 10, 11, 12, 13. In 722, the Assyrian army came in and decimated the capital of Israel at Samaria. In 586, the Babylonians came and they annihilated Jerusalem. It began in 609 B.C. And there were three waves of deportations. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he wipes them out. And you know why? It's because they chose to reject God and God put judgment on them. Verse 12, look at this. The Lord has removed men far away. That is a deportation. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And then verse 13 says, but a tenth will remain. But even that tenth will be consumed. I tell you guys, this is an interesting passage of Scripture. Because the more I study it, the more it reminds me of the United States of America. We have heard. We have been told. And we have chosen of our own national volition to flip our noses at God's laws and God's standards. We know God says one man and one woman. However, we disagree with that. We know God says that the, the womb of a woman is a sacred place where a child is born, and we thumb our 
toss our thumbs up to that and say, we don't agree with that. We know that the Scripture says there's only one way to Almighty God into heaven, and it's through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And by and large, as a country, we say, I don't like that, I don't agree with that, and I just, I just don't think I will follow that. And so now in America, there is this calcification, there is this hardening of the spiritual hearts and judgment. We should not be, we should not be surprised when God judges our country. say, man, this is my first time at Great Hills Baptist Church. What do you think about that message? I think that guy lost his mind. I mean, I, I think he's, he's educated, but he's crazy. I mean, if you ever heard such a sermon, I don't know if I'm going to come back next week. How about you? I, I don't think I'll come either. I think I'll go somewhere where somebody will tell me that all is well and we're all going to heaven, everything's going to be fine. But is there a word of hope? Is there any hope? There's always hope. Look at verse 13. As a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. For those of you in the, in the forestry industry or those of you on the farm, when you cut a tree down, it's, unless you pull it up by its roots, out of that stump... It will grow again, and that's exactly the analogy that God gives to Isaiah when he says, most of the people are going to reject God, whether it's in Israel or whether it's in America or whether whatever country it is. And even though most will reject, there will be a seed, there will be a stump, and out of that will grow the people of God. And it's interesting that Isaiah uses an oak tree, which we all know, but he also uses another word called the terebinth tree. Now, the terebinth tree is a lot like the oak tree. It is a large, leafy tree that can grow in an arid, dry place. And to give you a little more terebinthology, what I studied this week, a terebinth tree, a species of the terebinth tree, is a pistachio tree. And so here you have these leafy, broad-leafed leaves, like an oak and a terebinth tree. Even though they've been cut down, they will grow yet again and from that will come a new creation. No doubt, Isaiah was listening and was discouraged by the message God gave him. He was thinking, wow, this is, uh, this is difficult. And yet, what's amazing to me is Isaiah was faithful even in the midst of a difficult call. Just when I think it's all for naught. Just when I'm tempted in my soul to say, Lord, they're not interested. I'm, I don't think I'm going to tell them. And when I do, just then, it's like God always either saves somebody or somebody will look at me and say, you know what? I can't believe you invited me to church. I just moved to Austin. I have been looking for a church. It's inevitable. It may take a few times, but God is so amazing that if we'll keep being faithful and keep sharing, it'll, it'll happen. It'll grow. Fanny Crosby, when 
she was uh, up in years. She was traveling all over America, and she was speaking. When she was about 60 years of age, she was speaking to a, um, to a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she was, um, she was sharing with them, and she was an amazing lady. I mean, people would come, and throngs of people would come and listen to her speak because she's such an anomaly. I mean, she can't see, but she's incredibly gifted, and she can write these hymns. And so she was speaking to a group of, of workers, uh, just some blue-collar guys that were gathered together, and somehow Fanny Crosby went out and started addressing them and sharing the gospel with them. And she said these words. She said, God has impressed upon my heart that there's somebody here today, and unless you give your heart to God today, it will forever be too late. You will never come to this point again. That was pretty bold. Well, right after she got through speaking, this young man came up to her, and he says, ma'am, I am 18 years of age, and I promised my mother before she died that I would believe in her God, and I would live for that God, and one day I would see her in heaven. I just want you to know, Miss Crosby, that is not happening. I am far away from my mother's faith. I am the one. I'm the one that needs to come to Christ today. She led that young man to the Lord and went home that evening and wrote the words, Rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Snatch them from pity and the sin and the grave. Thirty-five years later, she's speaking again. Now, she's up in years, almost dead. Fanny Crosby is speaking, and she begins to share the history of how she wrote, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. After she got through speaking, a man came up to her and said, Miss Crosby, this is Massachusetts. I was that man. Eighteen years of age, I gave my life to Christ, and since then I have been walking with the Lord, and I know one day... I will see my mother again. Fanny Crosby said that was one of the most exhilarating, greatest experiences of her life. Even though she was worldwide famous and had plenty of money, she went to Manhattan, rented her an apartment, and she would go out many days of the week and rescue the perishing and care for that. She would go out and share the gospel with prostitutes and alcoholics, and she would continuously serve them and love them and reach out to them. And I just got to think, that's awesome. That, that's the way I want to be. I don't want to stop. I don't want to slow down. I, I was talking to my wife just this morning. I said, you know, Ashley, you know, I don't, when I get to heaven, that's when I'm going to slow down. When I get to heaven and worship God and praise God, when I get to heaven, there will be no lost soul to lead to Jesus Christ. So if I'm going to do it, I better do it now. And when I get to heaven, I'm not going to disciple anybody. They're already disciples, and they're in the presence of God. So if I am going to disciple somebody, if I'm going to pour my life into somebody, I better get to doing it now. And the same is for you and for me. Oh, that God would give us a passion. He would give us a burden to make disciples. I started reading another book last night, and that's dangerous. I'm trying to read Sam Houston's biography, and it's very fascinating. Man, what a fascinating guy. Okay, Houston. I, David Platt has come out with a new book. Just get your steel-toed boots on, okay? 
And, and I dare you to read this book. Francis Chan wrote the preface. Oh, my goodness. And then David Platt picks it up. And he said these words, Francis did. He said, you know, as a pastor, you were running about 5,000. He said, I just left. And I went to Asia. And I took my family. And now, best I can tell, Francis Chan is in a little church in San Francisco just pouring his life into a few believers who are pouring their life into other believers. And he said, a lot of times I have people come up to me and say, you know what, I'm just, you know, it's just not happening for me. The Christian life, it's, it's just not going like I thought it would. I don't, I don't have a lot of joy, and, you know, I just kind of feel distant from God. And what, what do you think my problem is, uh, Pastor Francis? And he asked this question. He said, who are you discipling? Who are you pouring your life into? And they say, well, well, nobody. He said, that's the problem. Can you imagine if this band of believers at Great Hills Baptist Church, if we took this seriously, if we worshiped God and we poured our life into others and we went out and, and we just talked about the Lord, okay? And we just, let's just say we just took some of these little cards, these little, little cards, and just went out and said, man, let me, yeah, let me, let me tell you about the Lord. You know, I go to Great Hills Baptist Church, and man, God is just doing awesome things in my life, and you may not have a church. Let me just tell you this. Woo! Sorry, I didn't go near as far as I thought it would. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? Are you ready? All right, here we go. You got to catch them, all right? Just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Here we go. You got catch as many as you can. Don't let that hurt you now. All right, good. Here's a soul-winning dude right here, and there you go. So what you're going to do this week is you're going to go out and you're going to tell people about the Lord. There you go, Jared. You're welcome. There you go, Moses. Bless y'all. And what you're going to do is you're going to say, I want to invite you to my church, Great Hills Baptist Church. Man, God is doing awesome things there. And they're going to look at you and go, I don't go to church. I don't want to go to church. And you just look at them and say, well, God bless you anyhow. I'm going to pray for you. Then go to the next person. Hey, sweetie, how are you doing? There's you a bunch, all right? I don't want to leave anybody out. We're just going to take a long time. I'm just kidding. I like throwing these things. Y'all ready? This is going to be cool. This thing's going to go. Ah, that's awesome. That is awesome. Hey, Miss Prado, take that. There you go. There you go. You're welcome. Y'all ready? Oh, he's going to be fun. You can do this. Oh, that's a big plot of them. All right, good. There you go, brother. Amen. All right, sorry, y'all. I've only got about 5,000 more of these. And some of you didn't get these, so I'm just going to kind of leave them here at the altar. And when you get a chance sometime before you leave today, just come pick up some of these little cards. Here's what they say. It says, Great Hills Baptist Church. And it's got our information, and you can put a little note in there. You can give it to somebody. Guys, you'll be amazed at how God uses this. You may give 10 of these, and only one person will really receive it and come to church. You're the late, you're the one. She's taking the whole box. She's, she's the one. Uh, Letitia, no? What's your name? Lucilla. She's been after me. She's going, Pastor, when are you going to get those cards? And I'm like... We're going to get those cards. And so she just came, took the, she just stole the whole thing. She took the whole thing. 
And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why she did this. She said, I want to go all in my neighborhood. She said, I love this church. I think God's doing amazing things here, and I just want to tell everybody about the Lord. God bless you. And there's another guy that asked me about this. So there you have, they're at the, the camera stands. They're in the welcome center. They're everywhere. Just go and tell and just share with people. Leave tracks in your tracks. <laughs> Leave tracks in your tracks. I tell you what, this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this next week. And what, what is so cool is, um, I, I'll tell you all this quick story, then I'm, then I'm done. I hadn't planned on telling you this story, but I want to tell it to you, then we're going to wrap it up. Johnny Hunt, pastor at First Baptist Woodstock, he, uh, he carries these little cards with him wherever he goes, and he, he invites people to church. He went to his favorite restaurant, Oh Charlie's there in Woodstock, Georgia, and he came to eat, and, and the people, he didn't know this, but the employees played a little trick on him. He offered, he said, hey, I want to invite you to my church, and he gave them a little card. Well, they laughed, they went in the back, and they came out, and they had like hundreds of cards. And they said, you know what, Pastor? Every time somebody from that big church comes into this restaurant, they give us these, they give us a good tip, and they give us these cards. And we had a competition. Which one of the waiters and the waitresses would get the most cards? And so and so won, he got 150, and here it is. And they just laughed, and Johnny Hunt went, Praise God. He goes, Woo, my people get it. They get it. I'm not the only one passing out cards. Here it is, go and tell. How many of y'all want to do that with me this week? Any, any takers? All right, good, good. Man, I'm sweating like a pig up here. It's getting sweaty. Maybe you're here today and you would say, man, I don't understand. I don't get all the excitement. I, I, I'm not a disciple. I'm not a follower of Christ. Listen, this is an awesome time for you to commit your life to the Lord, to give your life to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm ta talking about just pray a prayer and get some fire insurance. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about committing your life to Jesus Christ, being a follower of His, so that you will go and you will be not ashamed. You will go and you will tell. You will make a difference in the world in which you live. Anybody interested, I invite you to give your life to Christ. Some of you are here today and you're looking for a church home. You, you, want, you literally want a place where you can go and you know that the Bible is going to be taught that the truth is going to be spoken with love, and, and you want a church, you really want a place where you can belong and you can get involved and you can serve, then I invite you to come to this church and get involved. Some of you are here today, and, you know, a message like this, it's, you know, it's hard for you because you're like, man, I know I need to be witnessing, and I know I need to be telling people about the Lord, but, man, I just don't know. I, I just feel so timid. I feel so, I don't know what. Maybe, maybe this message is for you today. When you could just talk to the Lord right now and say, God, I am sorry. Forgive me. I am so fanatical about football and about shopping and about the kids and the grandkids. God, help me be as equally and more so excited about you. Father, I thank you today for Great Hills Baptist Church. Lord, I thank you for 60-plus years of evangelism and missions. I thank you today, Lord, that our missions pastor and his wife are in Kiev, Ukraine, sharing the gospel and nurturing believers. Thank you, Lord, for this army of believers we have today. Thank you, Lord, for the Isaiahs that are in the house who will go and tell, and even though they will be rejected and some will laugh at them, that they will be faithful and they will share the gospel. Lord, I thank you for this text. This is, God, this has stirred my soul. 
This has reinvigorated me. And Lord, if Isaiah can do it unto the point of death, then surely in America I can do it to the point of being, of being, of being looked down upon. So God, we just pray now that you would bless our invitation, bless our time, Lord, as we stand, as we worship. Lord, as we sing, I know the Spirit of the living God will speak. I pray, Lord, we would receive the message that you give us. And that, Lord, then we would go and tell and go and do. For this is in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's all stand up before the Lord today. And uh, let's have our song of invitation. God bless you as you sing and come. <laughs>